Hi, this is Dion Bake from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 117. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us again today. Uh, we've got another exciting episode and, you know, all kinds of stuff to talk about today. Looks like we're going to be touching on uh, a few things, getting some really good, just gritty, uh, you know, down to earth um, Nuts and bolts, really, is what we're looking at today. So that's good stuff. Uh, Sandy, how are you? Yeah, I'm fantastic. I'm excited to be here again. And, uh, you know, got uh, great guests lined up. We got uh, summer weather kicking in and life is good. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone listening should go over to our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. There you can look at all the episodes that we have put out in the past and listen to all of them there make a comment on them, uh, go in there, get all the guest information if you want to get in touch with them, all kinds of stuff. So go over there and, and check that out. Also, you can get our free report there, right? Yeah, our free report, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. And uh, we're going to touch on some of those things today here with, with our guest. And yeah, get on that list also. While, while you get that report, you'll be uh, subscribed to all of our our uh, list there where you'll hear about our events, our property tours, our episodes every time they come out. Get notified of that. You won't miss the show and all sorts of good stuff built in there. So go jump on over to the website, breakthroughreipodcast.ca and throw your email in there and jump on our list. Yeah, and please leave us a comment over on iTunes uh, and a review. We would really appreciate that. I think everyone who has done so so far has definitely made it so that more people listen to the show We've got uh, a bigger listening audience than I ever could have imagined when we started this out and uh, really appreciate that. And if everyone could go on and just leave us their comments on what they think of the show, that would be greatly appreciated as well. So thanks for doing that, everyone that has and everyone that hasn't. Get over there and uh, help us out. Absolutely. So uh, what do we got to get into? Should we should we just get into the show or what else do we want to go it. through? I'm ready. Guess, I'm ready. Talk to you. Know, we, know what we should remind people of is that we are doing these on video now and we have been for... Uh, what, maybe five, six episodes now. And if you're not watching on video, you're here listening in on audio, jump on over to our Facebook page and, and get into the action. You can listen to us live every Wednesday, 1030. And, uh, you know, ask questions throughout the show and jump into the live action. So if you're listening, uh, go over and make sure you like our page and get in the action there. Yeah. So um, we've also got live comments. So this is something we weren't able to do before is get questions on the go during the interview for the guests. So if anyone has right. questions and, uh, and wants to hear what our, what our guest has to say, then 
click on over into the live comments and we can put it in there. So Mark Smith's already leaving us a couple of, uh, of uh, comments here, just saying that he's heard great things about the show and he's looking forward to hearing the interview today. So, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, today on the show, we have our friend Alex Powell and Alex is uh, Alex and his wife, Kaylee, are the owners of Powell Property Solutions. It's a full-service real estate solutions company located in Hamilton, Ontario. And they specialize in joint venture partnerships, the Burr Method and Rehabs. And Powell Property Solutions specializes in buying, redeveloping single and multifamily properties throughout southern Ontario with the goal of rejuvenating neighborhoods, achieving great returns, providing safe, reliable housing. And a couple other just bullet points on them. Uh, they work mainly out of Hamilton, but are in and around the Hamilton area. They've invested all over, including Kitchener, Welland, and Niagara region. Uh, he's a licensed realtor with Keller Williams. He has personally bought and sold over $50 million worth of real estate. And he also has a degree in mechanical engineering, uh, worked in project coordination on multi-million dollar industrial projects. And he holds currently a portfolio of 41 doors worth over $7.8 million. So welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you guys so much for having me on here. It's a pleasure. Amazing accomplishments you've done there. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, no, no, it's actually the uh, the the honor is mine. Thank you guys so much. I'm a huge fan of your guys' show, and uh, you guys have done some amazing things by adding tremendous value. So I hope I can do the same. Well, yeah, you're gonna help everyone figure out how to do 63 doors, just like you. 41 doors. <laughs> Well, by the time this airs audio, though, that's a couple months. So, oh yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> future pace. I like where you guys are at. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about you know share a little bit more about yourself and how you got started and and interested in this journey of real estate investing. Yeah, to be honest with you, real estate wasn't even a, a blip on my radar uh, growing up. I didn't even know that something like this could exist until a cousin of mine, actually now an ex cousin, unfortunately, he. Uh, divorced out of the family but we're still close believe it or not um he actually decided to take me on to a uh to the uh real estate expo in toronto and i was maybe 17 at the time and that was the first real taste of you know financial education um just the whole concept of building wealth through passive income which was something that was really attractive to me because at the end of the day i always thought how does somebody become wealthy and, and just couldn't do it through, through a nine to five day job. Um, so after that, I just kind of caught the bug. He gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad to read, which I, I know is a, the same kind of story as a lot of other people. Reading that book had a big impact on my life. And then of course, uh, followed that up with Don Campbell's uh, uh, Investing in Real Estate using the Acre System book. And I read that actually while I was going through schooling. So while I was doing my, uh, my diploma and then my degree, uh, I just kept financially educating myself. I would go to all these kind of seminars, you know, the ones where they pitch to you and they're free. I would like dress up in like a suit, like 18 year old kid, not knowing what the hell I was doing, but I would go there for like the free stuff and just, you know, soak it in. And eventually, you know, you just can't help, but you start to pick up a few things and all of a sudden you start to speak the lingo, um, start going more and more networking events. And, uh, and eventually I ended up uh, while I was working at Acon, I bought a property on the Hamilton Mountain for $186,000. First property that I ever bought. And at the time, I was renting out of a basement for like 600 bucks, And the guy would give me a break on the rent as I would help him fix the basement. So I was like paying 600 bucks a month. Like let's say every two months, he'd give me kind of half off that month's rent or something like that. And then eventually uh, when I had bought this place in Hamilton, 
I not only moved out of that place and didn't have to pay the 600 bucks a month anymore, but I also now was house hacking it. So I rented out three bedrooms while I lived in the basement and was fixing up the bedroom there. So I was actually making about 500 bucks while owning a house. So my mind blew a little bit. It was just fantastic. So I decided to do it again. I jumped over and I converted a property in Kitchener to a duplex and then uh, started to gain some momentum. I did a flip in Dundas right after that. That was just a disaster. It was the very first flip I ever did. And I determined I needed some systems and the next flip, I made more than I did my whole year's salary. And I said, see ya, <laughs> got my license and that was it. So what year was that first property bought in? Oof, it was seven years ago, seven years ago, yeah. 186,000 right at Upper James and Fennel. It's like right by Mohawk College. Nowadays, they're like, they're going for like 500, 600,000, even if they're well done, right? But yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah. let's, uh, let's not gloss over it. Then let's talk about that flip and find out why it was a disaster. The first one. Oh, the one in Dundas. Yeah, for sure. So we, uh, I had two buddies from work and we're still good friends. How like, thank God, like these kind of things can often tarnish relationships I find. And, you know, I, I we do a lot of joint venture partnerships and I'm a big advocate that when you're joint venturing, you want to bring somebody on that uh, has what you don't have. So for example, if we are the real estate experts, you want to attract the money and vice versa. At the end of the day, you don't want to have two people who don't have money. It doesn't do any good. So, what we did is we got together with three, three guys or three of us total. And we decided to buy a flip and we we're going to do it. And we were all super excited. I had a little bit of experience in the real estate, you know, flipping, but it was all myself. I would do all the work and it wasn't even flipping. It was just burring technically, right? The first two, I didn't even know what a burr was, but that's, that's I just bought, bought it and renovated them. So we bought this place and it, we, completely failed at the rule where you're not supposed to touch a hammer. We did all the work ourselves, completely like reframed the interior, all brand new electrical, everything. By the time we had sold it, one of the guys had to drop out like three weeks into it because it was getting too much and his, his wife was giving him crap. And so me and the other guy were left just finishing up the, the project. When we sold it, we made, I think like 256 bucks. Like after all interest and everything, it was nothing. And uh, it, so it was enough to go out and have dinner and reflect on how we just blew a whole summer uh, renovating a property that we made nothing on. But to be honest with you, I'm grateful for that property. I'm seriously grateful for it because A, we didn't lose money, right? And then the second thing is it's a school flip. If you think about it, how much do people pay for you know, an education out there? And we actually got $256 so we didn't have to pay nothing. <laughs> you do learn a lot in, in doing, right? And that's part of the, th you know, we talked about that a lot and taking action, obviously. And, and you just have to pull the trigger at some point. And oftentimes you, even in a failed, you know, a failed quote unquote failed flip in that case, not really a failure at all. Cause you, how much would you have paid for that education anyways? Right. Tens of thousands for, probably. For sure. For sure. And, and that's what kind of, it set me up for the next flip that we, I did. The next flip, I was like, first of all, it was, it took a toll on like my life. Cause I was, I would work, I would get up at seven, be at work for eight o'clock, work till five o'clock. I was working in like downtown Toronto at the time at corporate. And then I would drive into Dundas, work until like midnight, drive home to Kitchener where I would sleep and I'd do it all again. And that was all summer. It was brutal, brutal. And it takes a toll on you. You start to go a little, 
wiry, you know? And, uh, and the next deal that I did, first of all, I bought it solo, so I didn't have any partners. I bought it right, and I didn't touch a hammer, and I made more than that whole year's salary that I would have made at Acon. Wow. So, you know, it just goes to show you, once you start to understand the models, and you have to take the plunge. At the end of the day, nowadays, with, with even the Hamilton market, if you don't buy right, you have to change your exit strategy. Temporarily hold it, put renters in there and sell it the following year, whatever you got to do, right? Um, there's different strategies that you can employ to make sure that you can get on top. I just find that people that don't do it and don't succeed are the only ones who lose, don't take action. Yeah, and I think that's pretty important too to point out is that if you guys you guys went into that first flip with the 100% strategy of flipping the property, the intention was to flip it. And when you don't have that, um, the, the other exit strategies, when you don't have different like ABC lined up, then now you had to sell it. You were in a position probably to keep it at the time, or maybe you would have done that. And, uh, and, and like you said, it's not bad, but you made 256 bucks, right? So, uh, yeah, really important. Maybe if you had have had the means to do so, you could have hung on to it for the year, like you just mentioned, and then sold it the following year and probably made a, a pretty handsome profit then yeah the benefit is though we uh we know the seller or the buyer who bought it still a mm -hmm. uh, very sweet elderly lady and at least twice a year she sends me a private message just telling me how much she loves she calls it her little cottage because it's like uh, in dundas it's a semi-detached um and she every year she includes it in the dundas christmas house tour so <laughs> Anyway, she always boasts about it, but That's that at least, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of cool, you know, it just shows that, you know, it's not crap what we put together at least. And you get to see it every, revisit it every now and then too. Exactly. Exactly. That's nice. Um, so what, what strategy do you mostly employ now? So nowadays we, um, we do a lot of joint ventures, uh, but mainly focusing on burrs and flips. Um, we have wholesaled the odd property as well it's not a uh, predominant we're we're not really good wholesalers because any deal we get we usually end up fixing ourselves so i wouldn't say i'm a very good wholesaler but that's pretty much burrs and flips is what we focus on and when you say burr let's just for those who may not understand exactly what that means you want to yeah yeah we we buy a property we uh renovate the property we rent it out we refinance it and then we repeat the process so when you say refinance it it means that the bank will go back in, look at what you've done and give it a new value and then lend to you again based on that new value. So you're able to pull out some of your money that you put in. Yeah. And, and on the burrs, typically we're, we're really focusing on, on changing the use of the property to something higher and better. So taking a single family, turning into a, a two unit triplex um, so we can recoup as much as the initial investment. And of course, all, our goal is always to get our partner, our, our joint venture partner's money out of the deal as quick as possible. That's, mm -hmm. that's always our, our, our you know, progress. It's a very powerful tool when you look at it from the perspective of someone just starting out. It can, it, I really think that it has more impact than anything else that you can do in real estate investing. Um, because it does give you the option or the opportunity, if you do it right, if you buy right, like you said, to be able to, to recuperate money that would otherwise be locked up in a property and go and buy something else with it. 100%. Yeah. I always tell people you can, like, 
Burr is the one strategy in any investing that I know of that you can literally have your cake and eat it too. Exactly. You That's get right. all your money back and you keep the property. Like I don't get how people don't see Sometimes that. Sometimes you get more than your money back even. Oh that yeah. Time, right. We've, uh, the, our office right here where we're at, um, we bought this place for 150,000. It was just a piece of crap. Like the place was falling in on itself and we put in 300,000 <clears> and we just got our appraisal back 650. Yeah, so, 650. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're going to bet you're probably going to get out a little more than you put in. Yeah. About 30 K. Yeah. So getting incredible 30, tragedy. getting paid 30 grand to own a brand new three unit. I'll take it. It's, it's, it's unheard of in any other, there's no other investment space where you can do something like that really, unless there's, I'm sure there are some creative ways out there that I'm not aware of, but real estate's got some really cool strategies like that, especially that are just unparalleled. You can't, you can't beat them. I mean, combo combo it with the leverage that you get from the bank and it's, it's, Yeah. yeah, it's just unheard of in any other kind of investing. And that too, like Burr, I find, especially for, for beginning investors, it's a great way to start. And especially because uh, it's like a, it's like a safe, the Burr method is a safety net when it comes to investing. If for some reason you've run your numbers and you're over budget by 50 grand on your construction, and then you realize that you overpaid by 50 grand and you go for your refinance and you're not able to recoup as much as possible that's okay. You're not selling it. It's not like you have to lock in the loss. You just hold it for another year and you'll recoup. Eventually it will correct itself just based on your mortgage pay down and appreciation. So as long as it can carry itself, that should be everyone's, uh, you know, number one priority. And that's where the multifamily really like the single family ones, I, which I've done one ever they're, they're tougher to have that carry, right? It doesn't really yeah. carry. Like if you, exactly. and that's the difference between just a pure flip where you have that, challenge maybe if it's a single family flip that you're not going to carry after right where the multifamilies typically you're going to hopefully be able to carry it month to month and have some positive cash flow and, and then just that plan b is to ride it out a little bit longer and just yeah, yeah. for sure that's where we love the uh, the tries because you know two of the units will carry the property it's tired and the third is just in your pocket right so what do you uh, focus on now yourself in the day-to-day with your investments? And maybe can you talk a bit, you, you touched on it as, he, as you, you have held the hammer at times. What do you do though currently? Do you do, you do any renovations yourself? Do you, are you totally off that? Do you just raise money or what is that? No, like? I, I'll, I'm in part of the design decisions. You know, um, if we have to sometimes troubleshoot some sort of problems that are arising the property, I'll get involved then. But we have a full-time project coordinator who's, fantastic and he's, he's on board so he takes care of the day-to-day my my main role within the team is attracting joint venture partners who obviously want to make a great return and, and aren't necessarily comfortable or they don't know where to start so that's that's where i typically have a lot of those kind of conversations and i also deal with our acquisitions so when someone is looking to sell we go over we assess and, uh, and take a look to see it's going to be a viable investment so my my whole role is on the kind of the investment side. The you know Alex Gettys, who's uh, on board with us, he deals with our uh, our actual contracting, and then we collaborate all the time. So it's all kind of one and the same. So why don't we talk talk about a little bit of you've done some kind of cool projects um, and ones I've seen you do and gone through, and there's some interesting ones there. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the commercial to residential and and that's something that we see in Hamilton a little bit 
kind of common, I guess, uh, where on some of these old streets and there's, you know, boarded up commercial properties. Oh, yeah. Um, you had one where you converted it to a residential. What, what was that process like? <clears throat> yeah. So I'll tell you the whole story there. Um, but when I was on Loeffler's team, he had a, a goal that every single week I had to go see 10 properties just as I was developing, you know, through, through my agency training kind of thing. And so I went and I previewed this one property and the listing description was brutal. It just said, so it was the front one picture of the front of the house and it looked like a crackhead den, which it was. Um, and it said on the listing description at the bottom that the side of the property is zone commercial. That's all it said. So it was on the market for 96 days in like a hot Hamilton market. What year was that? That was what, 2015, maybe 14? No. 15, I think. 15? Yeah. 15, yeah. So I went by, checked out the property, and there's no lockbox on the house. So I called the listing agent and I said, hey, listen, do you know where the lockbox is? She's like, yeah, it's on the commercial building right next door to it. And so like this light bulb went off. It's like, holy crap, there's a whole extra property that's part of this deal. No pictures on the listing, no details, nothing. So I went, I opened it up. It, the, the commercial property was this old shawarma hut. Um, I guess it was a, a sub place at one point, then it turned to a trauma place and they left the sign up. It used to say Mike subs right on King Grant. And so that property was actually on the same lot as the two and a half story Victorian building that was full of crackheads. So um, it was listed at 250 and I just threw in a, a conditional offer at, I was going to put it in at 225 and then last minute I was like, screw it. I put it in at 214 just to see what happened and they accepted it like that. No problem. So um, there's a slam dunk on that. Um, so going through it, the, the two and a half story Victorian was perfect. We went actually, it was zoned H zoning. So we could get away with the multi-residential. Um, the one problem is that, of course, commercial property is uh, to convert a commercial property to residential. There is a process. And so I, I don't want to say call it a problem, but it, there's a process, right? And that just costs a little bit of money. So um, a couple things that we had to deal with, of course, were there was a lot of variances that we had to overcome because the two properties were almost built directly on the lot lines. So there was like no yard practically through the whole whole thing. And then when you're converting from a commercial to residential, it's kind of funny when you think about it. That property was uh, the commercial property, the shawarma hut or whatever, serves food to people. And they call it when you're moving from commercial to residential, they call it that you're moving to an actual more sensitive use, which always confused me because you think a place that serves food should have like pretty rigorous uh, criteria, but in the city's eyes, I guess not. So to go from a more sensitive use or to one use to a more sensitive use from commercial to residential in this case, uh, we have to go through registration site conditions. So what that means, even though it's not like fully, um, like it's like not like an apartment building or anything like that. You do, you are required to get a legal survey done. You are required to get a phase one environmental done. And the phase one environmental is it, you have to register the site condition as part of the phase one. So for example, some people, when they buy apartment buildings as part of their conditional period, they go for a phase one environmental to make sure that there's no contaminants or, you know, the building's going to be okay. There's nothing surprising. That's a different type of phase one than the one that you would need for a registration of site condition. And especially the registration of site condition goes back like multiple, multiple years um, and, and determines what the history of the property was. And it just so happened that 
this particular property at one point in history used to actually be a laundromat, right? So when it has a laundromat, then all of a sudden they they question whether or not they have to do some sort of uh, environmental phase two testing. So there's this whole process that can go with it. Luckily enough, they deem that it wouldn't be required. And so that added to, to the whole length of the process. And, uh, and of course, going through the committee of adjustments, that was, that was another thing. So we got this design all done. The goal initially was to convert it to four units. We couldn't quite get away with it. Um, so we went back to three units. Um, and at the committee of adjustments, we had a bunch of people come to object it. And, uh, and I remember, that was, uh, I think it was my first meeting at the committee of adjustments that I had ever sat through. So I was kind of a little nervous. I didn't really understand the whole process fully, but when we sat down this guy comes in, he's pounding his fists and he was uh, talking about how, you know, we're going to be taking away commercial opportunities in the future along the King street corridor and by converting this to residential. Now at that time, and of course you guys know that Hamilton is in a major housing crisis, that there's not enough inventory to sustain the, the demand that there is right now. But you go down King Street or Barton Street or any of these major streets and every commercial property, you can see the main floors are boarded up. Not everyone, but a, a decent number that it can sometimes be a little jarring. So we're sitting there at the Committee of Adjustments meeting, this kind of silence mulls over the, the room and eventually this one guy who's part of the committee pipes up and says, you know what guys, I drive by this property every single day on my way to work and it's a piece of shit. Let the guy fix it. <laughs> so they all voted and they let me get away with it. So um, we weren't necessarily worried, but it was still still nice to see that they, they were in full unanimous support. Um, so anyway, we went through that process and we ended up putting uh, 250,000 into it. Um, with everything withholding costs, we're in it, I think for five fifty. at the end of so the bought it at two fourteen. Yeah. Five fifty, all said and done. And yeah. You were with left interest with, and holding costs. And you're and left then, with what, what type of property you're left with the triplex triplex. Yeah. So we had a two bedroom, a three bedroom that included like a loft with an ensuite. And then the commercial space was a one bedroom and a den. And so, so that was how, how many properties, that's a pretty big, like, there's a lot of different twists and turns in that story there. How many pro properties have you had you done at the time or how many did you own? Uh, I owned, I think I had done, I want to say seven properties at that time. So what gave you the confidence to just go through all that? Or was that kind of as on the fly kind of a thing? How did that play out? What was your mindset like through that? To be honest, uh, I'm a big believer. I, I, I forget who I said it. I think it was once again a Robert Kiyosaki notion is that you make your money on the buy. And at the time, actually, Mark had done a property on Grant, but on the other side of Maine, different area, but he had uh, refied it and got like, I think actually Adrian had done one on Grant too, where it, the refinances came in really well. So once again, just goes to show you the power of networking and, and kind of understanding what other people are doing and listening to, to kind of some of these success stories and being involved in it, it kind of gives you the confidence to now make, uh, uh, take a plunge where previously you might not have. So the reality of it was that to get two properties for the price of, you know, three quarters of one was, was pretty dynamite. Even if I would have just fixed it up and then sold it, we just go with a one. I didn't know how we could lose on it. 
Yeah. So you knew the market really what it comes down to that, that regardless of what happened with that deal, you knew there was five, six ways to make money in there. Yeah, for sure. And I also think too, that it's nice to hear that at the meeting, there was some sense of some use of common sense instead of just, um, you know, this is what the, this is what the city ordinance says and yeah. that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, the city all knew the the entire plan that we were putting together was in alignment with the city's overall plan. So the fact that a few people came to complain about it, I, I, I understand why they would. Um, but when you look at the lack of inventory on the residential side and the lack of need on the commercial side, and that would likely change as Hamilton downtown core continues to develop, we're going to see a lot more activity in the downtown core we're going to see it and we already start have since like 2015 when this property was bought it's there's been a, a ton of changes that have taken place even since then um but I, I i will say that the direct neighbors and like the three properties around it it like they were like a, an inch away from giving us hugs every time we saw them because they were just so grateful the place was disgusted. like i remember i walked in there we had already bought the property the place was cleared out and we we went in and there's like six people passed out on the floor all over the place with drug paraphernalia everywhere when we were demoing the property i'll never forget this the guys it was lab and plaster so they stuck their like their bar into the like between the 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 wall joist space and the cavity and they would pull down the lab and plaster and they pulled down the lab and plaster and these guys had a hole at the top of the wall and they would just stick their needles into it and it slowly would fill up the cavity. <clears> so <throat> when the contractors pulled it down, a bunch of these orange needles pulled all over the wall. And that's, that's scary stuff, man. Like, you know, imagine somebody actually gets poked by a needle or like, you know, gets some sort of uh, disease or something from it. Like that's, that's some scary stuff. So these guys like, I had to go get the medical bins. They had to get like kitchen tongs and like put them into it. They were like super paranoid and care. And I don't blame them. I mean, like, but you know, the neighbors at that property itself kind of transformed that corner, especially. And, and now you along between uh, King and Maine on Grant, you're starting to see a lot of these, these properties starting to turn over, which is really nice. Let's finish off that story. Cause there's another <laughs> ad- addition to it. Um, yeah. And how you got, uh, well, tell us, tell us what happened after that with that property and what, the, what, there's some unique stories there. The yeah, next yeah. Years after that. So we bought the property. It's not even the next couple of years. Like that property took us the better part of, I'd say, eight months to get all finished. And we had the place completely rented out. It was awesome. Just humming like a well-oiled machine. Everything's brand new on the inside. We got our appraisal at the time. It was like seven fifty, I think it was. So we got all our money out of the deal. It was the first time actually I had joint ventured um, and the, our partners were ecstatic. It was fantastic. Actually our partners on this one actually happened to be my, my father and mom. Um, and they were always against this whole idea of real estate investing. And it took a couple of properties that I had to do solo for them to finally start believing in me. And the first property that we did together was like a slam dunk. So now they've, uh, they've probably done five or six with us. <laughs> they love it. But um at the time we had just got all the units rented out. It was perfect. And then all of a sudden we get a letter in the mail and it's because the LRT is going to be passing through. They have to expropriate our property. So here we are, we bought this property. We've, um, you know, 
done all this work to it. It's brand new, everything, appliances, electrical, plumbing, everything. And there is a process that goes through with expropriation. And in all fairness, the, the way that they did it, I was actually impressed, very professional. Um, they obviously understand the impact that it has on the average person. Like there's people whose livelihoods were kind of torn up because they have to now, you know, go somewhere else. But they do a very good job at trying to make it fair enough that you, that they don't have to, you know, proceed to any sort of escalate any further is what I'm trying to say. And well, we all know where the LRT is at now. It uh, hasn't happened. So our property happens to be one of the ones boarded up now. And I just think to myself, like, there's so much brand new in there. Um, but going through the process and negotiating, at the end of the day, when you're expropriated or when you're on the, the list to become expropriated, the first thing we did was we lawyered up. There's a, an expropriation specialist type lawyer that you can hire for these kind of situations. And during an expropriation process, remember that the people that are going to expropriate, they cover your out-of-pocket fees to defend. Okay, so that's an important kind of process that, um, that is worth noting. The other thing too, though, is that if an expropriation is going to happen, it's going to happen. So you can fight it tooth and nail and you can try and get the most amount possible, but you're better off to negotiate with the guys up front than prolong the process. Because if you prolong the process and make it very difficult, they might have to just succumb to, um, to getting like what a fair market value approach would be. And then it's out of their hands. So you're better off to negotiate with people on the front end than, than wait for it to get out of their hands because then there's no real control and you don't really have a choice. So, so LRT, that's a transit of some kind? Yeah, it's the light uh, trail uh, transit system. Um, light rail light, transit. Light rail transit, thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. it's going to run through your property. So they're saying, you've got no choice. We're, we need this. We're, we need this. So we're going to negotiate in order to. Yeah, so our property was actually going to be one of the transfer stations that they had set up. So they proposed the number of transfer stations along the LRT line. Um, and ours just happened to be sitting on one. So that whole kind of block got eaten up. Um, so us and our neighbors, we kind of were all involved in the process. We all kind of communicated. And once again, the guys that were dealing with the expropriation, they were, they were, they were very good, very professional. Like I can't imagine how crappy of a job that must be is to go tell people that we're going to take your house from you. And they were very professional, though, I felt anyway. So they, you know, went through this whole appraisal process. We actually got our own appraisal as well, despite. And, um, and yeah, they, they came back to us with like the 750 number. And we just said, listen, if you give us 800, then it's yours. And so they gave us the 800 and, uh, we actually, so in a year, a year's time, we made a quarter million dollars in that property. Not so, bad. Not bad. And, yeah. and again, I mean, it's gotta be a little more difficult for somebody that lives in the property maybe. And it's, and, for sure. uh, but I mean, as far as investment goes, you never want to lose it. You could have probably made, uh, that in appreciation, let's say in refinancing over time as well. But Totally. When you don't have a choice, it doesn't sound like a bad outcome. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, if it was up to me, I would have kept that property all day, every day. Uh, and it just, it's, a, it's a shame because remember when we're joint venturing with different people, in this case, it happened to be my mom and dad. Their strategy is they're looking at retirement, whereas my strategy, I'm still in this build phase. So I'm looking at just like long-term appreciation growth. 
So this was going to be a nest egg for them that they could get cash flow from every single month as they no longer worked in the upcoming foreseeable future. So now that that asset has been taken away, that's the last dollar we'll see from that asset was what we got out of the expropriation. And in my opinion, I couldn't agree with you more, Rob. It's, you know, I'd rather would have held it at this point in time, we probably would have been able to get 900 for that property. And we'd only owe, I don't know, four, 50 on it, something like that. So do the math breaks my heart. So you've been through a lot of challenges though. Um, and you've overcome them all. Let's talk about, uh, some of the bigger ones that you've addressed. Um, yeah. So in terms of, of just in, in real estate, like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, like, you, you know, we, we should all be prepared when we're going to start following down the path of real estate investing to overcome some obstacles. So in order, like you bought this place and you knew that you were going to have to go through committee of adjustments in order to do what you needed to do. So you decided, you know what, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Um, worst case scenario, we'll do this, whatever it may be, but you understand that there's going to be challenges, right? For sure. So you're not afraid to address those challenges and, you know, go over around or through them ultimately yeah. what we have to be prepared to do. So, um, you know, if you were going to say what your biggest challenge has been or, or, you know, some of the biggest mistakes maybe that you've made, what would you, what would you say they are? I'd say a, a big mistake that, that I find a lot of folks get into and I've been guilty of it as well. And I had to kind of phase shift out of it early on in order to make a business out of this and, and continuously succeed is that people try, they, they find a property and they, they love the idea that, Oh my God, the things I can do to this. So all of a sudden emotionally they become invested into it. And then they realize that the numbers are tight. And instead of saying that I have to buy this property less, what they tell themselves is I got to take my budget and lessen that instead. And it's the wrong approach. And that's why when we say you make your money on the buy, you have to make sure you buy properties right. If you think that you're going to budget your way to success, it doesn't work like that. That's why a budget's there is, is, you know, that's your safety net. So for me, uh, a lot of the times I thought that by just sheer sweat equity and, and, and will I could, you know, force the, the, the peg into the square hole kind of thing, but it doesn't work like that. You have to be more strategic. And especially if you're running a business, you have to create systems that are duplicatable. And, and, and that was, for me, that was a big learning curve because remember the first four or five properties or sorry, four properties that I did, it was all with me swinging a hammer. So I had a little bit more of that leisure time that I could, you know, I can make a mistake or anything like that. And I'll fix it on my own time. But when you're talking about flipping, like time's money, you know, and, uh, and you got to make sure that, that you're, you're really running your numbers cautiously. And especially now, like we're dealing with private money that is sometimes you know, more often substantially more expensive than your typical a lending. So a lot of these factors come into play. And especially if you want to start scaling, now you have to have proper systems so that the people that you have on board can also follow within those systems. So that for me was a, a personal challenge and, and it still is sometimes because of course I, I, I'm, I almost don't see the, I don't chase the money at the end of the day in, in real estate. I chase the challenge. I love turning a piece of garbage into something that looks beautiful, that, that families who rent it or buy it from us are proud to live in. They want to show it off to their friends. So 
you know, you got to be, you know, you got to be cautious is all I'm going to say. That, that for me has been one of, uh, one of the big lessons, I guess. Um, in challenges, at the end of the day, like uh, every property presents a different challenge. Uh, I think that, you know, we've, we've dealt with things like um, roofs caving in, we've dealt with foundations blowing out. So I think that the one thing that kind of sets us apart is that for me, a challenge is just a challenge, but it, it really just converts into what that cost of that fix is going to be. So we're not afraid of what has to be done. It's just going to cost money and you got to make sure you allocate for that. So it sounds like stick to your numbers is one of the uh, big points you're trying to get there too. For sure. For sure. So, so like we, you know, make sure you have a contingency and if you don't know your numbers, then what I always recommend, cause that's a hard thing to do as well. If, if you're buying a property, get it under contract first and have a due diligence clause that you put into the contract. And then on a walkthrough, bring a contractor through, leave your home inspector at home. No offense to the home inspectors out there, but bring a contractor through who's going to do the work or who you would trust to do the work and tell them if they have experience and they should know within the first five minutes of walking through a property, what that should cost approximately. And that'll give you the numbers that you need to see if this is going to be a viable investment or not. And if it's, if the guy comes back and says it's going to be 60 grand, like I can get him to 40. Don't do that. <laughs> right. It's not going to work. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then when you look at it, you go, well, it should refi 500, but you know, we'll try to push it, but we can probably get 520. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a, there's another element. Uh, thankfully I'm always super like conservative. Kaylee is uh, my saving grace in that she, uh, she, she more often is like, let's put an extra 25 on there. We'll get it. And more often than not, we do, but it's a, it's a good mix. So how do you help others invest in real estate? So, you know, it was funny. We were talking yesterday with Sandy about, uh, you know, our mission and our values and stuff for at the, when we really started to create a business around this and not just be cowboys flying by the seat of our pants. When we started to really hone in on what this was going to look like, we, one of our big missions was to create as many financially free people as we possibly could. Uh, we get a ton of, gratification from helping others see what passive income can do. I think it's one of the coolest things when you can knock someone's socks off and, and show them, because I think that has like a legacy effect. And then all of a sudden they start to protrude that to the people around them. Nowadays, a lot of our joint ventures just become repeat referrals and, and, you know, they're bringing in their friends because they're like, you got to try this. So right now our real way that we help is, well, from my standpoint is we help people who have, income like uh, money that's maybe not getting returns that they would have hoped we deploy that capital into investment properties and we get people really great returns sometimes infinite returns as i'm sure you know we talked about when we're doing burrs and we can pull out all the money plus a surplus and so it's really cool when we do that we uh we usually go up for steak and lobster with our partners it's pretty sweet but nice. that's yeah that's how we help on the investment side um and of course we also have a transactional real estate team um, that, that helps just investors that are, are looking to, to, you know, try it on their own and, and get a, a foothold in the market. Now, do you, do you partner with, or the partners you uh, bring in, are they completely passive? Do they ever, do they ever come and see the property? Yeah, a few, uh, like I'd say the majority of them are mostly passive, but what we also, uh, advocate and, 
and I'm, I like, I hope that people would want to do this is that we have a few joint venture partners that have said to us, like, listen, we don't know what we're doing. We need a little bit of help understanding this process, but we believe in it. And so they, you know, we partner, they're the financial partners. They part, buy the property, hold the mortgage, and they um, uh, provide the capital to do the fixes. Once that's done, they refinance and they understand, they start to learn the process. And once they've learned the process, the goal is that after you know the first or second, they can then take one on themselves and do it on their own. And I think like, I, I want them to do that. At the end of the day, if like, if it's easy, then they'll, they'll keep partnering with us, that's fine. But a lot of the times we're dealing with people that are retired and are looking for some sort of challenge themselves and, and want to kind of get into it. Now that's the odd person, but I would say still the majority of people are people that have never seen the property. They don't care. Um, they just want to get kick-ass returns on their money. So. so what's coming up next? What's the, what's the road ahead look like for you and your business? What do you got coming up? Well, it's a good question. We're actually expecting baby number two right now. So we'll see what that's gonna, gonna do because Kaylee's gonna be stepping away a little bit. But our, our main objective uh, this year, we, had a, we have a goal of 20 acquisitions. Um, so the, the reality of it is what we're hoping to do is, or what we're planning to do, not hope, is that we're, we're planning to scale. So that's, that's where it's coming down to. And it's, it's actually been very good now that we're slowly getting back into the office after the whole COVID situation. Now everyone's kind of realigned their focus and we're a full steam ahead. It's really exciting. So what's been the what's been your thought on the market and what the like does that matter to you when you're you say you're going to scale up do you do you think about what the what the market conditions are currently when you're thinking like that or you just regardless I, you go ahead? I, I would say this it's impossible not to think about the market conditions because the the media just shoves it down your throat but i do i do whatever i can just to ignore it because at the end of the day remember we're buying for long-term passive income and i'm confident in the hamilton market I'm confident in the uh, in the southern Ontario market, for that matter. Um, and if you look at our property values compared to other areas of the world, uh, Canada is a hotspot. Uh, we we not only have incredible immigration, we have you know thriving businesses that are taking over, and they're they're congregated in small pockets around the country. We don't have the same kind of layout like the states does, where they have a metropolitan city in practically every state. We have like five across like the second largest landmass in the world, right? Uh, so when you when you consider that, you consider how strong our banking sector is and that it tracks outside capital. Like I read an article yesterday about um, you know the things that are happening in Hong Kong and they're worried about their currency completely deflating. And so it might attract a lot of outside capital to be coming to outside countries and Canada's on top of their radar, right? Even despite the the foreign buyers tax or whatever. So when I think about the market, I look at it from a larger picture of Canada and and what what it has to offer and, and just the benefits of, of living here. And then, you know, you hone in a little bit more if you look at Toronto and the ripple effect, you know, people think Toronto prices are are high. You know, go to go to Beijing or go to like uh, Christ, wherever, you know, like yeah. London, Hong Kong, what, London, on, London, England. London, like, UK. Yeah. It, it is honestly like a blip compared to it. And if you guys think that that our market can't grow anymore because it's already so expensive, 
people need to, to reconsider. And I find that a lot of the conversations are around that. It's like, where's the market going? And then five years later, we end up looking like a genius and people say, oh, I wish I would have bought that. And I don't understand, like, you know, sometimes you need to give the people a little, little shove um, to, to get them, get them going. So, but that's, that's my opinion on the market, of course. Well, I think it is, you know, there's no denying that it's getting increasingly more difficult to acquire properties. And so sure. I would say that regardless of where the market is now, it's always going to continue to be increasingly more difficult to purchase. So if you have the means to do it, by all means, the time is now to get into mm-hmm. To get into something it's pretty much always now right if it wasn't Obviously. yesterday it's now because yeah. you're gonna like you said the market it's not gonna get any easier and even if the market dips that doesn't mean it's easier to get in that actually means sure. it's probably more difficult because money's tougher to get right yeah so and there's a heck of a lot more competition lots you know, more yeah you know, there's, that, there's that saying it's not timing the market but it's time in the market and that applies to real estate and especially when you're dealing with properties like Anybody who's listening, if you're buying a property, make sure the property carries itself. That's that's your number one goal. Find a way to make it carry itself. Convert it to something that will carry. And at that point, if you bought too high, it's okay. Because just let it ride it out. It'll it'll all balance itself out. Let it simmer. It's a beautiful thing. And I did want to ask you real quickly, um, when you said you were scaling this mm-hmm. year, did you mean in a uh, number of properties or a change up of strategies or just uh, increasing the amount of units in the buildings or what did you mean? Scaling in terms of our acquisitions. Uh, so last year we, we acquired 10 this year, we're acquiring 20. I'd like to either surpass that even next year. So like by three years, I think we had 50 on the radar in three years time. So in order to do that, there's, all the little systems that come into play your marketing your process your operations your how do we pay contractors these are all things that have to kind of be developed so we have a really great operations manager on board right now melissa who helps us with with who's helping us develop a lot of these systems to streamline things so that's our big process right now or our big push and once again it's like we're, we're in the business of of financial wealth building and, you know, to not to steal Frank, Sandy's MRN phrase is building generational wealth. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. And, and as I said, we, there's a tremendous amount of gratification you get from being able to help people do that. So we work with joint ventures from all walks of life, retired school teachers. Um, one guy who we work with, who's uh, just an awesome individual. He, we met him at a networking event. He's a crane operator and like, you see what it's done for these guys, their lives, and it's mind-blowing. And now, all of a sudden, they're preaching to their friends, and then their friends are calling us and stuff. So that's what I find is very cool. Um, you were – so I got one more question here myself. You were kind of going through this whole thing. You have you started out when I first met you. I Well, not for long, but I knew you briefly when you were in corporate world, I guess we'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and – how old were you back then at that time when you started to transition into real estate? Uh, I'm going to say 25. Late, yeah, mid-20s. Okay, so then yeah. you're now you're, what, 32? 31. 31? 31. So five, six years, you kind of built this whole thing. And what's your, like, um, I don't know, happiness level, satisfaction level like from back then, corporate world and doing that thing to where you are today? You got your own own businesses, 
good portfolio build up there. You're helping a lot of these other people invest and build wealth for themselves. What is your like when you sit down at night? What is, what's the difference in your happiness or your lifestyle? And what does that feel like? I guess the biggest difference is just an overwhelming sense of gratitude. Like for any listeners out there, you know, close your eyes for a second, you know, imagine a life where you have the choice to do what you want when you want. And every single day isn't work. It's you're passionate about what you do. You're excited to wake up. Monday mornings aren't a drag. We have the financial well-being to help our friends, our families. We live in a house where we have built it. We live a life by design. It's it's uh it's mind blowing to be honest with you. It is completely mind like it completely alters your whole perception of life and what's out there. I find too many people get caught up in, into the rat race and it just becomes the norm and people stop working for what they, they are passionate and they believe in. And I don't understand it because people who go through post-secondary education or even high school for that matter, they work, they work to get there. And all of a sudden they graduate and they actually start work and then they stop working on themselves. I don't understand where this mind shift happens of like, Let's just stop working on ourselves because now we have a job and we can just coast this the rest of our life, you know, and I just don't understand. But my whole feeling is gratitude. What we've, what we've been able to uh, accomplish is, is mind blowing. The, the lives that we're changing around us, like our administrator, we just helped her buy her first investment property. And like, honestly, it like swallows my heart. Like it's just her two daughters as education will be paid for by this one property. And, you know, this is something she never thought she could do. It's super awesome. Like you can influence someone's life by doing that, you know? Cool. I love that. Love that story there. And it's, you know, I just, I asked that because I wanted to uh, just display what a, what a, in a short period, five, six years, what a major change that can make in someone. And, and you don't have to be in your mid twenties. If you're out there and you're in your mid fifties or sixties, like five years is a short time. You can make massive difference in in people's lives and your in your own life in a very short period of time in real estate which is which is why it is so cool and so fun to be involved in the, that world you know totally. what? it's a, you're absolutely right and and just i think the biggest point there was how you feel right you how you feel when you get up in the morning and the difference between when you've got when you've got uh, an employer you know who dictates everything to you as opposed to you going out and and finding the energy and the skills to do that thing that you want to do and now you can go ahead and do it and um and schedule your life around you know what you want it to be so that is amazing it's very very cool that you've been able to do that and thanks for sharing everything you have today really oh, appreciate my, that thank you guys it's uh i think what you guys are doing for the investing community is uh nothing short than uh than fantastic it's uh i think the community owes a lot to you guys because once again you're bringing raw value and so hats off to both of you gentlemen. Thank well, you. Thanks, thanks so much for being here. Let's w quickly too. You do have a, um, well, I guess we're going to ask how people can get in touch with you. Yeah. Tie in there. Tie in there. If you can, your, uh, your, uh, events that you do, cause you do some local events in Hamilton. Yeah. We, uh, we have a, uh, a networking event called gain G H A I N greater Hamilton area investors network. Um, so, you know, we, we bring in guest speakers to talk about different investing strategies, um, as well. You can check us out at our website. It's www.palpropertysolutions.com. And for anybody who's interested, we actually have a book that we've uh, that we've 
it's a free book. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to order it. You can actually download the PDF. It's, uh, it'll take you about two hours to read the whole thing. The book's called Getting Your Foot in the Door. And for all those people who have thought that everything's overpriced and it's too expensive and there's no good deals on the market, this is to crush that whole mentality because it, if you want to, if you're actually serious about buying and building passive generational wealth, you need to get your foot in the door and, and this book will, will shed the light on how you can do that. And where can they get that? Is that on the website? PalPropertySolutions.com? Yeah, that's on PalPropertySolutions.com. You can check it out or, uh, you know, even email me at apal at PalPropertySolutions.com and, and we'll send you the, the PDF copy of it. We'd be happy to. Very good. And we'll have all of the rest of your uh, contact info on the show notes so everyone can get in touch with you if they need to. Do you want to throw out another contact uh, way to contact you? Yeah, actually, uh, my uh, our phone number here is 905-869-8333. Um, feel free to reach out to us. Once again, easiest is probably uh, our emails. I mean, by all means, call us and we'll, we'll be sure to call you guys back if we don't, if we don't get in touch with you right away. Um, but apal at palpropertysolutions.com or info at palpropertysolutions.com. That's also a way to, to get in touch with us as well. Okay. Fantastic. Terrific. I everything today, man. I, I really like these, uh, just getting right into it, you know? And yeah. This is the most important kind of show that we can do is just to show people that you don't need any kind of special situation in order to get into this, right? Anyone can do it as long as they decide that that's what they're going to do and just make the next step and the next just step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, thanks again. Really appreciate that. Uh, My pleasure, me. gentlemen. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, Sandy at McKayRealsNetwork.com or 289-389-6846. can reach me at Rob at MrBreakthrough.ca. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And we will see y'all next time. Thank you. Bye. See you guys. Bye.